are in week two of a series that we are very, very excited about. This series is called Jesus Said. What? There it is. Uh, Dion was here last week training us on how to say the word what. He's not here this week, so he's here digitally. Let's try this again. Uh, Jesus said, what? There we go. All right, so we're going to need some audience participation. That's the only way we're legally allowed to say the title of this uh, uh, sermon series. Now, last week we talked about the thing that Jesus got him in trouble among the, you know, the, the most, and that is the word hello. He said hello to the wrong people. Got him in a lot of trouble. Today, we're going to talk about what Jesus said that got him in so much trouble, they wanted him to be put to death. And here it is. Ready? God serves us. God serves us. Jesus said, what? Oh, you, come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> Jesus said, what? God serves us. Now, if you were to just, just look at that at face value, if you grew up in church environments, religious environments, this would be crazy. What do you mean God serves us? We know what the deal is, and it's not this. Here's the deal. The deal is God is perfect. I am a sinner, and I serve God to get right with him. That's the deal. Every religion throughout all of human history, that's the deal. God is perfect. I'm a sinner, so I have to serve God to get right with him. That's what I know. And for some of us, that's what I love. It's like I can get my head around that. God's this perfect holy being, and he certainly is, but in our minds, I think we might have him set up more as a narcissistic king, and some of you know what I'm talking about, right? You might have images of God that have him on this big throne, this big, faceless being, just blazing with glory on this throne of perfection, and he's looking down at us, and here we are, these weak, lowly, you know, creation that is full of sin, and we are wretches, and there's a holy God, and we are sinful, and so we have to work our way up to his blessing, work our way up to be right with God. We have to serve God. And so because we have that image of who God might be, sort of like a narcissistic, insecure king, and a narcissistic, insecure king needs to be adored. A narcissistic, insecure king needs to be affirmed. A narcissistic, insecure king needs to be honored. A narcissistic, insecure king needs to be served. And a lot of times that's what we think about God. He needs something from us. So imagine this morning, it's Sunday morning. Imagine, um, this might sound terrible, but you know, it's Sunday morning, God, I don't know, alarm goes off, I don't know. It's Sunday, I'm gonna be worshiped. And he gets all excited, I'm gonna be worshiped. Worship me, worship me. It's almost like he needs our worship. He needs our praise. He needs us to honor him, needs us to adore him, needs us to obey him, needs us to serve him. It's a very warped perspective of God. Let me just say something that's, you know, you can think about. If God needs anything, he's not God. Fair? If God needs anything, he's not God. And I'm telling you, especially, especially if he needs something from me, he for sure ain't God. You know, and, and in my old days, I would think, oh, God needs me to obey him. He needs me to honor him. needs me to worship him. needs me to serve him. And then I'm thinking, that's ridiculous. If God needs anything from Scott Treadway, he's got lots of problems. He doesn't need anything from me. He certainly doesn't need me to serve him. But that's the model we have. That's what religion kind of does, right? Is it paints this picture of this insecure narcissistic king who needs something from his subjects, who gets offended, easily offended. 
So if I fail, if I sin against God, God is offended by our sin. And I just want us to think about some of these things that we might've believed our whole life. Are we really thinking that the God of creation is somehow offended when I fail? <gasps> I can't believe what you did, I'm so offended. Come on! The God of creation being offended by anything we would do or then getting so upset and angry and threatened to, you know, I need, I demand blood, I demand sacrifice, I demand death, I demand eternal condemnation. I mean, the view we have of God, we have got to rethink. We have to rethink. Because if we keep believing God is this insecure, narcissistic, kingly figure, then we're in some serious trouble. Because how could we ever be good enough for this insecure, narcissistic, divine being. So we'll always feel as though we're a failure. We're always gonna feel as though we're under condemnation. We're always gonna wonder, are we good enough, faithful enough, right enough, you know, correct enough, devout enough? Have you ever had those thoughts? Have you ever thought, maybe I'm not good enough for this God, maybe I'm not right, maybe I'm not faithful, maybe I'm not enough? And what happens when I die? Am I really gonna go to heaven when I die? I mean, these things seep deep into our soul. We've gotta rethink the way we think of God. And that's what Jesus came to do. So fortunately, we see in Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is teaching his, his lifestyle. We see his priorities and we see the heart of God to correct how we think about him. Because he's not an insecure, narcissistic, divine being. He's not. He's a heavenly father. He's something far more wonderful. Let me put it this way. We do not need to cower in service to an insecure narcissistic king, but instead enjoy God as a loving father whose pleasure it is to serve us. Might be the first time you've ever heard that in your life. It is God's pleasure to serve us. And I know what a lot of you are thinking. Whether you're here on site or online, you're thinking that cannot be. What do you mean God serves us? That's, in, that's, that's crazy talk. He's the divine, he's the creator, he's the perfect one. We serve him and God's saying, listen, I don't need anything from you. I'm God if you haven't heard, I'm God, I'm self-sufficient, I've got it all, I need nothing. I'm secure, I am steady, I am not easily offended, I'm fine. It's you who need some help from me. God says it is you who need some help from me, so I'm here to serve. I'm here to give, I'm here to sacrifice for you. And God says, that's my pleasure. That's my pleasure. So here we're gonna see a story that's been familiar-ish to Rancho. We have breezed over the story twice in the last several years. And we're gonna do a little bit of a deeper dive into a story where Jesus breaks one of the 10 commandments. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we're, it's gonna take a while, we will get there. Jesus breaks one of the 10 commandments. And he says he did. So I'm not inventing anything. Jesus says he breaks a commandment and he does it to prove a point. You ready? Here we go. Here's the fourth commandment that he broke. It's the Sabbath day commandment. It's number four. The first three commandments have to do with our relationship with God. Worship no other gods, don't make idols, don't use my name in vain. The first commandment that has to do with how we live is to keep the Sabbath. Here it is, Exodus 20, verse eight. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, get this, 
on that day, no one may do any work. Very plain language. On that day, no one may do any work. Now, in the Hebrew culture, Sabbath day is a Saturday. First day of the week is a Sunday. Last day of the week is a, um, is a Friday. Last day of the work week is a Friday. So Saturday is the day of rest. That's the Sabbath day. So in, in Hebrew culture, if you know somebody who is a, a Jewish family and they still observe in any way, it would be that Saturday is a day of rest. And the deal was that um, the Sabbath is, is something that is so sacred that if you keep the Sabbath day, God will actually bless them as a people. God says, you keep the Sabbath, I'm going to bless you as a people. Here's one of the many promises about the Sabbath, Isaiah 58. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day, then the Lord will, ha- will be your delight and give you great honor and satisfy you. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's the deal. Nation of Israel, you keep that fourth commandment. You keep the Sabbath day and I will bless you. You keep the Sabbath day and you will be my delight. You keep the Sabbath day and uh, I will satisfy you. That's the promise. And so off they went. Nation of Israel, 10 commandments, that's number four. The promise is you keep the 10 commandments, you're gonna do well. You'll be a nation of order. You'll be a nation that treats each other well. You'll be a strong nation. You'll have law and order, right? You'll, you'll do well. The more you disregard my commandments, the more you're gonna live in chaos and the more you're gonna be vulnerable to the nations around you. That was the deal of the Old Testament. That's how to read the Old Testament. A deal that God made with Israel and, and the law. They obey the law, they're gonna prosper. They disobey the law. Uh, they're going to have some problems in that region, right? And time and time again, they failed to obey the Ten Commandments, and and so they suffered the consequences, and there were times where they became weak as a nation, then invaded as a nation. That was the old deal. Jesus came to bring a new deal, a new deal that Jesus called the new covenant. It's a new promise. It's a new way of relating to God. And in order to bring the new deal, he breaks the old deal by literally breaking the fourth commandment. Here's how it goes in Mark chapter two, Mark chapter two. One Sabbath day, Jesus was walking through some grain fields, already in some trouble, just right out of the gate. Why? It's the Sabbath day of rest and he's walking. Now it wasn't illegal to walk on the Sabbath, but you only had a certain number of steps you could walk during the Sabbath. Keep in mind, there are hundreds and hundreds of rules about how to keep the Sabbath. And so if you're walking, you're allowed to do that, but you can only walk so long then you have to sit and then you can walk and then sit. So there's lots of religious rules about how to keep the day of rest. Jesus and his disciples were walking. Okay, they seem to be keeping within the rules, right? More or less. Then his disciples begin breaking off heads of grain to eat. One of you said it. What? There you go, we're catching on. You can't do that. You can't do that. According to Jewish law, you cannot harvest on the Sabbath. There are no rules around it. You simply cannot. But Jesus did. His disciples did. Now listen, I can tell you, it's not in the text, but I can tell you absolute for certain, this was planned. This was planned. Because Jesus and the disciples were all devout followers of the Judaic ethic, the Judaic law, the Ten Commandments. They had it memorized. They woke up on this Saturday... And Jesus says, I have an idea. Let's go on a walk on the Sabbath. And Jesus, and you can just imagine the disciples going, I, I know we're pushing the edge always, but really, do we need to go on a walk on the Sabbath? Jesus says, we're going to walk. And we're going to have a picnic lunch. 
And they're saying, what do you mean we're gonna have a picnic? We're not allowed to have a picnic lunch on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, we're going anyway. This was no accident. They didn't stumble into working on the Sabbath. They had the laws memorized about the Sabbath. They knew exactly what they were doing. Walked out, picked heads of grain, and had a picnic lunch. Then the Pharisees, these religious leaders, law keepers said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? They're breaking the law. And Jesus did not correct them. The law, we read it, clearly says you shall do no work on the Sabbath. Not only are you walking on the border, you're harvesting and you're eating and we're done. You broke the law. Your disciples broke the law. Then Jesus says, all right, well, if you're so concerned about breaking the law, why don't you read your Bible? And Jesus says, there's a story in the Bible where King David broke the law. David, one of their heroes, broke the law, and he shares about it in Mark 2, 25. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in Scripture what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. Jesus did not correct them by saying, well, we didn't break the law. He actually doubles down and said, well, we kind of did what David did. A hero of the Old Testament, he and his people were hungry, went inside the holy place in the tabernacle and ate the holy bread only for priests. Broke the law, no question about it. Broke the law. God had no problem with it. Why? Because David was hungry and needed to eat. What is Jesus saying? God is more interested in David having lunch than David breaking the law. God is more interested in Jesus and his disciples having a nice lunch than breaking the fourth commandment. He's showing the heart of God. Jesus says, we're hungry, we're eating. <gasps> it's the Sabbath, you're breaking the code. Jesus says, come on, God's pleasure is our lunch, <laughs> even though we're breaking the fourth commandment. Isn't this a whole different way of looking at our relationship with God? That maybe God doesn't get all bent out of shape with every little jot and every little tittle and every little rule and code and law that's in the Bible or, or invented by, by man. God's not so much interested in us keeping religious law. He's more interesting in, uh, interested in us living a wonderful life, a wonderful life, enjoying this life, enjoying each other, enjoying our relationship with God, and enjoying a picnic lunch on that Sabbath day after harvesting on the Sabbath. Jesus is trying to change our entire minds about God. So did Jesus really break a commandment to the letter? He absolutely did. It says don't work and he worked. Did Jesus break the spirit of the commandment? What's the answer? He didn't. Because the spirit of the commands, all of them, are, are for us to thrive in life. The spirit of, of the commands are for us to live to the full, life to the full. So he gives us these commands as a gift for us, not for us to serve him, but for him to serve us. And that's exactly what Jesus says. Mark 2.27, this is wild, absolutely wild. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. I mean, that's an eyebrow raiser. It's like, you've got to be kidding me, right? I've been taught this whole time that God gives commandments for me to obey to serve him. Jesus says, no, the commandments are given for God to serve us. He wants us to benefit. He wants us to thrive. So he gives us these commandments for us to serve us. God gave commands to benefit us, 
not for us to benefit God. And let me be crystal clear. When you read the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, everything God does is for our benefits. Everything God does is for our benefits. He serves us. Let's go back to, to creation, right? You go, go back to creation. We see in Genesis 1:27, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Does God create human beings so that we would serve him? What's the very next line? God blessed them. God made us to bless us. He didn't make us to bless him. If we can change our minds about that, then we're gonna live so much freer. We're gonna be unburdened by guilt and shame and am I good enough and am I right enough and am I, you know, am I in God's you know, graces? Is he, is he gonna allow me to heaven when I die? Because am I doing all the right things? Am I serving God enough? And God says, would you stop it? I need nothing from you. It's my pleasure to give everything for you, to serve you. I've created you, so I have the pleasure of serving you. I've given these commandments to help you, not to hurt you, not to judge you, not to shame you, but to help you. I mean, let's, let's go to Exodus, right? Here's this nation of Israel enslaved uh, in Egypt. They're set free from slavery in Egypt. And here are these 12 tribes, maybe hundreds of thousands of people, wandering around a desert. No land, no king, no laws, nothing. 12 tribal people, 12 groups of, uh, 12 tribes plopped in the Sinai Peninsula with nothing. And God says, I think you need a little help, right? Gave them some food, gave them a law. Gave them some food to survive, gave them a law to be ordered. Because if it wasn't for law, if it wasn't for these 10 commandments, they'd be in utter chaos. They have no leaders, no laws, no rules, no course, no nothing. Hundreds of thousands of people. God says, I'm gonna give you some food and I'm gonna give you a law for your benefit. I don't need this for you to serve me. I am serving you by giving you the law, the 10 commandments. Let's look at the 10 commandments, here they are. The first bullet point there are the top three commandments that have to do with our relationship with God. Worship God alone, no idols, don't misuse the name of the Lord. And we might think, well, okay, that's for God's benefit, right? God wants us, needs us to worship him and honor him. This isn't for God's benefit, this is for our benefit. God knows that we live a better life when we're centered on him. If we don't have a life that's centered on God, that means our lives are centered on who? Ourselves. And we live with the turmoil of me, 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 and we're always thinking about me, and we don't have a purpose in life, there's no transcendent um, purpose, there's, there's no you know, wonderful story that we're involved in, it's just all about me and all about now. God says it's for your benefit that you honor me. It's for your benefit that you keep focused on me. So the first three commandments say, hey, listen, as you live your life, focus on me. You'll know how much I love you. You'll know the purpose of your life. To receive love from me and give love to others, you'll live a better life if you focus on me. First three commandments. Fourth commandment there is to keep a day of rest. That's not for God's benefit, it's for our benefit. God says, feel free to work six days. One day a week, I want you to chill out for our benefit. Jesus said it. The Sabbath was made to serve us. It's to our benefit if we rest. Now, I had to confess to my wife this last week that I am working way too much. I just looked at my calendar over the last several weeks and I'm seven days a week and I take two or three half days a week and I do have a home office and so I'm, I spend some time there and it feels like I'm at home but I'm kind of not at home. You know what that means to have a home office? <laughs> You're 
kind of there physically, but you're not. And sometimes you go into that office too much. And so I've been working seven days a week for quite a while. This last week, another seven days a week, and I've got to stop. Not because I have to honor God by taking a day off, but because God wants to honor me and serve me by making sure my brain is at rest, my soul is at rest, and my body's at rest. So if you're working too much, I don't want you to worry, oh, I'm breaking a commandment and I'm you know, not doing it right. No, just worry about your own health. God says, rest, relax, chill out, you need it. Your brain needs some space, your soul needs some space, your body needs some space, relax. Take a day. It doesn't have to be the Holy Sabbath Saturday, right? The Jewish folks, that's their jam and that's their Old Testament law and that's fine, they can honor that all day. The spirit of the commandment is relax. I don't care what day of the week it is. Relax for your benefit. Honoring our parents. The fifth commandment is for our benefit. God's not saying this so we would kind of cower in fear to the narcissistic king who needs us to obey him. No, he's just saying, hey, listen, if you're honoring of your parents, you're gonna have a better family life. It's gonna be better for you. It's gonna really create a sense of, of a unified family that loves each other and cares about each other. And so if you're a child and, and you might be you know, alienating yourself from your parents or there might be some beef there or some hurt there, and if there's a way to reconcile, reconcile. If there's a way to bring you closer together, come closer together. Whether you're a child or a parent, if there is a disconnect there, what God is saying is it's to your benefit that you have a more unified home. It creates a stronger family, a stronger you, a stronger society. That's what he's saying here. These aren't religious rules for his benefit. These are for our benefit. And so if it's you know, safe to reconnect with a family, then reconnect and ask for forgiveness and forgive and really work this closer and closer for our benefit. There's a sixth commandment in there. Don't kill each other. <laughs> and some of you are like, I got that one nailed. At least this week, I've got that one nailed, right? And, um, and we might think, okay, well that's really about you know, not actually taking another life. And while very sadly there's parts of this world, even parts of this country where life is, is taken way too easily or even without thought, there's a deeper point here. It's not just about not taking another life, it's about how we treat each other. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you see that Jesus broadens the definition of these commands and he's saying it's not just about not taking another life, but how you treat another person, how you think of another person. Is there hate in your heart? Do you say things, whether to their face or, or not, that are harmful to them? Jesus says there's other ways to kind of rob a life beyond just taking their physical life. Treat people well. That's for our benefit, treat people well. The next commandment is to keep the marriage bed sacred. Don't take another person's spouse. And again, the whole point of this commandment is to keep that family strong, to keep marriage strong. And if, if married life is solid and you don't just take each other's intimate relationship for granted or take another person's spouse, you're gonna be better, your family's gonna be better, society's gonna be better. All of these things are given for our benefit. But sometimes if we are immersed in religious culture, sometimes we think that God has all these you know, um, uh, sexual moral codes in order to satisfy him. You know what I mean? A lot of times we're, we're in church environments as though God has all these sexual codes that if we obey, God will be, feel good about us. It's like, no, God just gives these things so that we will feel good about ourselves. We'll treat each other well and that our families would be strong. The ninth commandment, 
uh, I'm sorry, eighth commandment, do not steal from each other. Don't steal from each other. Again, that's for our benefit. Um, I was at a uh, memorial service yesterday officiating uh, for a family uh, friend, and um, one of the sons told a story about his dad who they were laying to rest. And they said they were on a camping trip. This was years ago, and they went by a service station, and you know, they did some things to the car and the RV and went down the road, and the dad remembered, oh, shoot, I forgot to pay for one of the services. Again, this is years ago. Forgot to pay for one of the services, and the son said, well, how much was it? He says, a dollar. Turned the RV around, went miles backwards to pay that one dollar. And the son was saying, why would you spend all of this time for one dollar? And the dad said, if it was one penny and we were a day away, we're going back. You don't steal. And for him, this was not about the dollar. It wasn't about the penny. It's about the principle that we're gonna treat each other so well, we're not gonna take anything from everybody, anybody. We're gonna pay what we're owed, we're gonna pay fairly, we're not gonna take from anybody, the government, anybody. We're gonna pay what we're owed, or what we owe. That's how we treat each other. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a great vision. And then don't lie about each other. Don't lie about each other. This is the ninth commandment. And this is do not bear false witness. And I'm telling you, of all the commandments, this is the one we break the most. I'm totally convinced. As a culture, as an American culture, breaking the ninth commandment is what we do. We just do this. We lie about each other. This is all about politics. Politics, we lie about each other. We believe the worst in each other. We tear each other down. We go on social media, believe the worst about each other, tear each other down. We gossip about each other. Oh, did you hear this? Oh, did you? Oh, that's interesting. Hey, did you hear this? Did you hear this? We rip each other apart. The ninth commandment is not about following some rule for God's benefit. God is saying, listen, for your benefit, for your relational benefit, for your societal benefit, don't lie about each other. Don't gossip about each other. Don't tear each other apart. It's for our benefit. And the 10th commandment, don't covet what others have. Don't covet, be content with what you have. Don't always be looking for more, more, better, better, better. You know, debt, debt, debt. This is for your benefit. If you're if you're comfortable with what you have and, and you appreciate what you have and you're content with what you have, you're gonna be so much better off. All of these commandments are so that we would be better off. This is God serving us, not us serving God. To put it this way, God does, doesn't need us to follow the command so he feels better about us. God wants us to follow the command so we feel better about ourselves. And I hope that gives you a lot of freedom in terms of your relationship with God. He's not some insecure, narcissistic king needing anything from you. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need your obedience. He doesn't need your service. He doesn't need you to be right. He doesn't need your devotion. But what he wants is to serve you. He created you to serve you. He created you to bless you. He gave you the commandments to make our lives better. And then he says, let's walk a journey together. And we see this even in the Old Testament in Psalm 119. Make me walk along the paths of your commandments. That's where my happiness is found. If we would understand that God is for us and not against us, if we can understand that God serves us and needs nothing from us, and we could take the things that God says in his word, Old Testament, New Testament, and we can kind of discern, all right, what is God trying to do here? What does he want? And what he wants is for us to be served by him so that we would benefit so that we would benefit. Then Jesus says this, Matthew 12, seven. By the way, Pharisees, by the way, religious leaders, you're judging me for breaking the commandments. 
I'm in charge of the commandments. The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The commandments were given by God through Moses and Jesus says, yeah, that's me. I'm in charge. You're not in charge, religious leader. I'm in charge. And so if I say the spirit of the Sabbath is to bless us and to make our lives better, then what I say goes. Jesus redefined all the commandments. Nothing we need to do to serve God. It is God serving us. God living for our benefit. And I'm telling you, if, if we change our minds about this, and if we really understand that God is for us and God does everything for our benefit, several things start to happen. We start to elevate ourselves in a good way. We start to think better about ourselves because a lot of us are feeling really, gotta be careful of my words, really bad about ourselves. We feel bad about ourselves because we don't measure up to others. We don't think, we're not where we think we should be. Maybe we don't have the career path we think we should have. Maybe we think that even God somehow is against us because we still have some habits in our lives that aren't really good and we think God condemns us. We not be, may not be the tightened up religious person or church going person that, that we think you know, God wants us to be and you think you might be under God's condemnation. You might not even know where you're going where you die because, when you die because you have been told time and time again these threats of eternal condemnation and you're carrying the weight of not feeling very good about yourself for a whole lot of reasons. If you could get your mind and your heart around believing that God loves you, he doesn't see your flaws, he sees his daughter, he sees his son, and he wants to serve you. And he wants you to live a great and a happy life. That's what God wants to do for you. If you can get your head around that, your self-image will go through the roof in a good way and you'll start feeling confident and you'll start thinking, yeah, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm a creation of God, made in the image of God and God does everything to bless me and to serve me. He created me to bless me. He gave me the commands to serve me and he wants me to live with a smile on my face. He wants me to know how loved I am by him and that it's my pleasure to love other people. That's what God wants. And then our gratitude goes through the roof. God, thank you. I mean, I suppose you could condemn me and you could judge me if you want, but Jesus says you just choose not to, and so thank you for that. Thank you for considering me your daughter, for considering me your son. And then it's a life that prioritizes ourselves in that I can take care of myself, I can look out for myself. God wants to bless me and God wants to serve me, and I can look out for myself and I can, and I can treat myself with dignity. And then I can do what Jesus asked me to do, and that's love my neighbor as myself. I have self-esteem. I'm, gra I'm grateful for all that I have and grateful for the love of God. I can treat myself well because of who God says I am, and then I can love others as I love myself. Doesn't that sound like a pretty decent way to live? No matter what comes in life, good or bad, we can live with this great pleasure that it is God's pleasure to serve us. We're gonna close by reading Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna say a prayer and sing a song that wraps all this up in a beautiful way and let all of this soak in. Ready? Ephesians one, four, and five. Let this soak in. Even before he made the world, God loved you and chose you in Christ to be holy and without fault. He sees you without fault. He loved you before the foundation of the earth. 
God decided in advance to adopt you into his own family by bringing you close through Jesus Christ. Loves you, accepts you just as you are. Get this. This is what he wanted to do because you give him great pleasure. Did you hear that? You give God great pleasure. You are the pleasure of God. It's God's pleasure to bless you. It's God's pleasure to serve you. Let him, let him love you. Let him show you that in his eyes, you are perfect. And let him lead you forward to a better life. Let's pray. God, this is a a lot for so many of us to take in. If we've been raised in this idea that you are above us and transcendent and, and needing worship from us and needing to be adored by us and needing to be obeyed and needing to, ser- needing to be served. God, changing our minds about who you are is so very, very difficult. So let the teaching of Jesus begin to change our mind. As Jesus breaks this fourth commandment and then is so, so clear that the commands are given for our benefit to help us, to guide us into a better life. Because God, it is your pleasure to bless us from the very beginning of time. It is your pleasure to serve us. It it is your pleasure to guide us forward in love and in grace toward a better life ahead. Would you allow us to allow you to serve us in that way? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Delaney, we're gonna close in a song that has never been sung on this campus. Is that right? Yeah, first time. First time. So we did this in where? Uh, we did Rancho Marietta. Rancho Marietta. They, they get all the good stuff over there, right? Uh, so we're gonna sing this for the first time here. And it's, it's a great message for us. What is the message of this song? Yeah, it just, I mean, the song is called Freedom and that's exactly what it talks about. It talks about coming as you are and just being welcomed into the fullness of his love. So yeah. feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. All right, so let's stand. Uh, you may not be able to sing it right away, but try to get that chorus part. It talks yeah. about freedom. It's really, really yes. good. Come on, let's sing. Thanks, Dale. Oh, let me see those hands.